From the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies, this is Pardes from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, a Pardes alum. This week, Achrimot, Kiddushim, and Yom Hatzma'ut, Israel Independence Day. This episode is by Rabbi Alex Israel. Rabbi Alex Israel is a member of the Pardes faculty. And now, Rabbi Alex Israel. What do you love about being in Israel? Is it the tremendous food? Maybe it's the hummus. Do you love the desert or maybe the rolling hills of the Galil? Is it the fact that you can visit the Kotel, the old city, or walk the byways of the Bible? This week is Yom Ha'atzma'ut, Israel Independence Day. And long before the modern movement of political Zionism, Jews were studying about the land, praying for the land, yearning for the land, discussing the sanctity of the land. I would even venture to say that when, in the Zionist Congresses, Herzl's Uganda plan was rejected, it was a reaction, it was a residue of over 2,000 years of yearning for a particular land, and that land is the land of Israel, Eretz Yisrael. And so it would seem highly appropriate to talk about uh, the land of Israel this week and how lucky we are that the Parsha actually engages with the land. And I'll maybe begin with a question or a few questions to get the discussion rolling. Israel is known frequently as the Holy Land. But what is a holy land? Can stones and, and soil be holy? And what is it that makes the land of Israel holy? Is this an an accolade, a a sense of praise, an opportunity, or possibly even a liability? When we go, when we read our parsha, our parsha lists um, a whole litany of sexual violations, be it adultery or be it incest, and it warns that these sins can engender our exile, our national displacement. And the Parsha says the following, Do not impurify yourself, do not defile yourself with all these. It is by these actions that the nations that I'm casting out before you defiled themselves. The land became defiled. I called it to account for its iniquity. The land spewed out its inhabitants. So don't let yourselves defile it, because then you too will be spewed out just like the nations that came before you. We'll come back to this notion of the land spewing, vomiting its inhabitants. Not a very pleasant one at all. I'll begin by saying that what we what we seem to be saying here is that the land has a sensitive stomach and that this land is a land which doesn't tolerate sin. Later on in, in, in the book of Numbers in Bamidbar, at the end of Bamidbar, when they talk about the cities of refuge, we have the same thing about not sexual crimes, but about about murder, where it says, 
you shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land. Again I ask, can a land become defiled or polluted? And what is this metaphor of spewing or vomiting out sinful residents? What's going on here? Can a land have an automatic sensitivity to, to, to wrongdoing and corruption? Before we move on, let me point out what I think is a very important detail. There is no difference between Jews and Gentiles, between the, between the, the, the Israelite people and other peoples in terms of the land. The land seems to be incredibly sensitive from a spiritual perspective, but it doesn't play favorites. It has the same rules for everybody. And uh, whoever sins uh, gets thrown out. So what's going on here? There are many perspectives and understandings about the land's holiness. And the first what I would like to visit is a, a rational approach. The second is going to be more mystical. The first is going to see holiness as a byproduct of human behavior. The people is holy rather than the soil. The second is going to see holiness as intrinsic and imminent. So here's the first approach. And I'm going to bring... Um, this first approach in the name of Maimonides. And let me quote, give, maybe quote from a couple of different books. Let's start with uh, Professor Menachem Kellner talking about Maimonides' confrontation with mysticism. And this is what he says. According to Maimonides' view, holiness cannot be characterized as ontological or essentialist. Holy places, persons, times and objects are in no objective way distinct from profane places, persons, times, and objects. Holiness is the name given to a certain class of people, objects, times, and places, which the Torah marks off. According to this view, holiness is a status, not a quality of existence. It is a challenge, not a given. It is normative, not descriptive. End of quote. And here let me quote from a second thinker, Yishayahu Leibovitch in his book Judaism, Human Values, and the Jewish State, and I quote, The land of Israel is the holy land, and the Temple Mount is a holy place, only by virtue of the mitzvot, the commandments, linked to these locations. These mitzvot were not associated with the land and the mountain because they are holy. On the contrary, their holiness derives from the mitzvot associated with them. The idea that a specific country or location has an intrinsic holiness is an undutably idolatrous idea. End of quote. In this view, because the Holy Land has extra laws, because the land of Israel has, for example, the Bikurim, the first fruits, the Shemitah, the sabbatical year, Trumot and Masrot, the tithes, the, the laws associated with the temple and, and so many others, by virtue of the extra observance that happens in the land, there is what we might call a, a sort of a thicker culture of religious industry. Uh, a higher spiritual intensity may be achieved in the land by virtue of the, the more extensive observance. In this sense, the land is holy. But that holiness is only contingent on the laws being practiced if the laws are neglected or transgressed. The consequences will be dire, far worse than in a regular land. The land is only holy because it calls us to attention, it calls us to observe. And if we don't observe, 
well, we will be liable and we will be thrown out the land. And this is the approach of Maimonides. Um, the land is not intrinsically holy. We are called to do more things in this land and therefore it achieves a level of holiness by virtue of our actions. But I have to say, the verses of our parsha don't seem to reflect this understanding at all. Uh, they seem to be suggesting a, a, a very different model with quite a different dynamic because these verses seem to say there is something intrinsic and visceral about the land's character. Um, if we go back to the, the metaphor of the, the land's sort of sensitive stomach, this is exactly what Rashi says. The land will spew you out, Rashi says. Here's a mashal, a parable. This may be compared to the case of a prince, a sensitive and refined person, to whom one gives something disgusting to eat. He cannot hold it in his stomach and he vomits it out. Similarly, Eretz Yisrael is unable to retain sinners on its soil. This metaphor raises the image of a spiritually refined land that has a sort of spiritual sensitivity, a sensitive stomach, and refuses to digest errant um, sinful behavior. They, they taint it. And Nachmanides, the Ramban, champions this whole philosophy. The Ramban, in an in extensive passage here, uh, talks about how, how, how quite how special the land is. In fact, he takes this to extreme uh, ends, where he says that really the whole Torah is ideally meant, meant to be kept in the land. And in fact, when we keep Torah outside Israel, it's just practice for getting back here because the, the whole vision, the whole vision of Judaism is of a nation in its land. And he even says this, and I, again, I quote from his commentary here to Vayikra. God placed over each people in their lands, according to the nations, a star and a specific constellation, as is known in the laws of astrology. But over the land of Israel, the center of the world's habitation, the inheritance of God that is unique to his name, he didn't place a captain, an officer, or ruler from the angels in giving us, in his, sorry, in his giving us the land. He is the power for us, and we are designated to his name. In other words, and here he is drawing on images from the book of Daniel and others. He says, um, other nations and countries are, are subject to fixed rules. When he says they're given a star or a constellation, he means they, they follow a fixed orbit. They're guided by nature. But the land of Israel is under the direct providence of God. It is, it is guided by God. And its spiritual sensitivity then is due in part, or quite a large part, to God's special watchfulness over the land of Israel. In fact, we read about this quite explicitly in the book of Dvarim. Um, many of you will be familiar with the second paragraph of the Shema, which tells us, If you listen to the, the, the laws that I give you, then you'll have the rain and you'll have agricultural plenty. 
However, he shamrulachem, be careful, because if you sartem vatatem Elohim acharim, if you serve other gods, then God will be angry and he will he will close up the heavens and there won't be any rain and then you will sort of uh, experience demise from the land. Now, how does this work? It's almost as if the land itself is the tool, the tool of reward and punishment. And indeed, this is something that we will revisit um, later on in the book of Vayikra in Parashat B'chukotai in chapter 25 and chapter 26, where the Torah tells us very explicitly that we will prosper and we will really thrive in the land when when we keep the Torah. But if we don't keep the Torah, the land will not yield for us. In fact, it will do the opposite. And here we see a fascinating line here in Devarim chapter 11, where it says, It is a land which the Lord your God seeks. God's eyes are on it at all times. God is watching the land from the year's beginning to the year's end. It is this direct presence of God which, on the one hand, uh, creates a phenomenal attraction to the land. Um, of course, if, if God is more present here, then the spiritual opportunities are so much greater, we can really encounter the divine here in the land. But I have to say that it also has a downside, because our entire history of exile, there haven't been too many other nations who have experienced exile like like Israel. And in this uh, understanding, the understanding that we see here in Parshat Acharimot in chapter 18, um our displacement and our exile from the land is a direct result of our spiritual failings. And because God is watching us and his eyes are upon the land all the time, it has phenomenal benefits, but it also has um, downsides, a tremendous danger. Now, I wonder whether these um, expressions that we've spoken about have resonated with you. In our first model, the model of Maimonides, the sanctity of the land was related to us keeping the commands. Um, in our second model, the model of Nachmanides, it was related to almost an intrinsic presence of God in the land. I wonder whether you who are listening relate to God, sorry, relate to the land of Israel as a holy land at all. Uh, the, the, the tremendous revolution of Zionism was not to look at it as a holy land, but a homeland. And not a land of, uh, of God, but a land in which a nation could be, could be formed. Um, they would say, Anu banu arza, we came to the land, livnot ulhibanot, to build and to be built. But uh, the connection was not with God, but it was with nation and land. Um, I wonder if this is relevant indeed to Yom Ha'atzma'ut, and to the modern state of Israel. I'll say personally, for me, um, I made Aliyah some 30 years ago, and I feel it is relevant to me. I live in a land where not only do I have the privilege to speak Hebrew, um, to walk um, the, the hills and valleys of the Tanakh, but this legacy which is contained in the words of the Ramban, that somehow God is in some way more present in this land, uh, pre uh, presents me with a, um, a, a great blessing and also a calling. 
it makes me think that that I have got tremendous ethical standards to live up to here in Israel. And sometimes I'm troubled when I hear about uh, some sort of phenomenon in the news, whether it's, you know, not caring, whether it's a situation of crime or whether it's some other uh, awful situation. And I say to myself, gosh, this uh, is all the worse because we are in our country. I definitely think, as I started, that the modern state of Israel, uh, which rested on the modern Zionist movement, probably wouldn't have had the fuel to energize it if it didn't have those thousands of years of Jews looking at this land, not just as a homeland, but as a holy land. And I'll leave you with some of these thoughts as uh, we experience this very special week uh, of Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaAtzma'ut, where we remember the sacrifices we have had to pay for having this land uh, on our Memorial Day. And then we are going to go into a day of celebration where we're going to uh, be excited for the fact that we do have Jewish independence after almost 2,000 years. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rabbi Israel. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode of Pradis from Jerusalem.